0: Straight Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing. No BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Jarek Buchholz. I'm the founder of Canada Real Estate Investors Club, uh, Street Smart Real Estate Investing, and Jarek Buchholz Group of Companies, and many, many other companies I don't want to mention. And today we have a Claire Drage. We are having a special program, Street Smart Real Estate Investing with Claire Drake. Claire, what is it about? Just give me an idea to, to all the attendees, and then we will switch to your PowerPoint presentation, right? So,
2: Absolutely. So first of all, obviously, well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Derek and Street Smart, for inviting me this evening today. So uh, we're going to talk about buying rentals and really picking the right market. How do you figure out which city, which area, which part of town, which province? You know, how do you you really find the right market based on your strategy?
1: Okay, so let's switch it to your PowerPoint presentation and then rock and roll, right?
2: Fabulous. Okay, I'm just going to show my screen. We'll do this one and i'll just wait to see whoa i think we're ready to rock and roll so we are ready we're ready awesome so buying rentals picking the right market we're going to go through a lot of different strategies in order to find out which is the best area for you to purchase sometimes it's natural for real estate investors to follow where other real estate investors are going there's some strategies we can put into place to be ahead of that market trend. Too often as a mortgage broker, I see real estate investors saturate one specific market because it's hot right now. And before you know it, that market is so saturated that investors are competing with each other. So sometimes it's about doing a bit more research beforehand to look at potential future trends and even keep an eye on those markets. So let's go through some different options. So first of all, a disclaimer. Now, of course, we cannot possibly cover every scenario, every market, every investor, every situation is different. So of course, I'm going to make this evening, so I'm going to make some general statements and would really ask that you have an individual consultation with key members of your power team. Also, I'm possibly going to give you a perspective from a mortgage broker standpoint. It's really important to understand I'm not a real estate agent, but I am a real estate investor. So I really do understand a lot of the concepts of acquisition, but also exit strategies as well. So let's talk about your due diligence process. The one thing I always like to reiterate is that mistakes happen. More and more mistakes will happen the bigger the emotional attachment is to the investment. This often happens when you're looking to buy somewhere local. You might turn around and say, you know what? My first investment property, I want it to be in my neighborhood. Well, that's awesome. You've got great neighborhood knowledge. But the challenge could be you're emotionally attached to the neighborhood, the area. You might not want to drive by your rental property every morning on your way to work or dropping the children off at school and notice things like they haven't cut the grass. They haven't put the recycle bins inside. Why is there a garbage can at the end of the driveway? Why is there four cars in the driveway but I only have two tenants? So sometimes it's about, you know, not getting emotionally attached. So I always like to reiterate that part of your due diligence process is treat this like a business. This truly is you like you purchasing a business. Some people spend more time picking out a new pair of shoes than they will actually their their real estate, and it's about doing all of that due diligence. Up on the screen you'll notice a whole sort of circle of due diligence process. It starts of course with understanding why you wanna buy real estate, analyzing the buy, your pre-offer due diligence, making your offer and negotiating, closing and ownership, and then of course your exit strategy. All of these should occur with every single acquisition. So what are we going to cover today? We're going to cover analyzing the buy. Really wanting to focus on what steps do you need to take to analyze the purchase. Now let's talk about the wealth building blocks and also what are the key elements to always stay focused on? Well, the first one is gonna be, you know, why do you wanna buy real estate? That's always a great question. A lot of people go because I wanna get wealthy because it's a smart investment. But is that really the why? I think we need to drill down a bit further to the real reason. Of course, then you wanna buy it, and then your exit strategy is going to create wealth in real estate. So let's talk about the why. So why do you want to buy real estate? Now, a lot of you might be thinking, Claire, this is pretty basic. We all know that this is important stuff. But I'm constantly surprised at how the reason why you want to buy real estate can sometimes be forgotten in all of the frenzy of the due diligence and the excitement and the apprehension that the reason why you wanna buy real estate sometimes gets muddied or forgotten. So let's briefly go through the three wealth building blocks. The reasons why you might be deciding to purchase real estate. What I'd recommend you do as you're watching this is maybe grab a pen and paper and consider writing down a few reasons of your why. So quick cash, what does that refer to? So quick cash is, of course, you know, building capital. Maybe you have empty pockets. You don't have a large, you know, access to cash or down payment. So what strategies could you put into place to create capital? So of course we have our standard scenarios. Maybe doing some flips. You know, buy, renovate, sell, make twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Maybe doing rent-to-own, where the quick cash can come with your initial option consideration. Then, of course, the bonus is the extra cash flow. Maybe wholesaling, selling off a deal to a fellow investor that maybe doesn't have the luxury of time that you do to source the right opportunities. Assigning, so assigning a purchase agreement or a specific deal to someone else for a fee. And of course, joint venture partnerships. So that's kind of quick cash, build capital. So if your whole idea, your why for buying real estate is because you need quick cash. Therefore, if you see a property that has great cash flow, you're not currently in that why market. Now what I mean by this is that no matter which of the wealth buckets you're in, the fact is you're in typically one at a time, And then you add more and more as you go on. So, if you really need quick capital, you need, you know, 50 grand to build up in your bank account, then this is going to be the wealth block you'll be focused on. Now, cash flow. Of course, that's all about creating a monthly income. So, creating that excess cash flow. So, of course, that can come from rental properties, anything from single family, student rentals rooming houses, rent to own, multifamily buildings, and of course commercial. So the bottom line with cash flow is obviously your income is going to exceed your expenses on a monthly basis for the property or properties you want to acquire. This might be your bucket because you want to quit your job or retire 20 years earlier than expected. Or um, grow your family, have children, and maybe your partner or yourself don't go back to work uh, when your family expands. Whatever the reason you need the money, the bottom line is your why for the buy is going to be cash flow. So as we seek the right market, the right area of town, we want to make sure that cash flow is there. So is that one of your whys? Now, finally, this is one of my favorite ones, portfolio income. Probably the easiest of the wealth buckets from a time perspective, uh, and usually typically something people uh, work up to. So this would be where simply your money makes money. So you're going to be the banker. Maybe you're going to be borrowing against your existing real estate portfolio and loaning it out to other borrowers, maybe even fellow investors. And just sitting back and relaxing and having your money making money. Also potentially using self-directed RSPs, Lira or TFSA to further loan out, be the bank for a change and get a superior return on your investment. So I want to just reiterate the why. So is it quick cash, cash flow or portfolio income? So the key thing is remembering that and keeping that top of mind. If I want a cash-flowing property because I want to quit my job three years from now. So my why might be cash flow, but how much? If in order for me to quit my job, I need to have $4,000 a month of positive cash flow, then that's the focus. I then want to stay laser-focused on finding the right market that's gonna meet that need as soon as possible. So this is your why, so remember your why. So I wanted to talk a bit more about the due diligence process. So typically there's kind of three phases of the actual buy process. So the first phase is pre-offer. This is about you deciding uh, what's right for you, picking the right location, picking the right property, ensuring it aligns with your strategy. Now, typically, a real estate investor will spend 60% of their time in this area. It's also typically in this phase when deals, a majority of deals or offers you've put in will fall apart. And most of that is because of your due diligence process as you drill down to all the finite numbers doesn't align with your why, the reason you're buying real estate. Phase two, of course, is the offer it's put in, it's accepted, yay, you're meeting all the conditions, again, making sure nothing's changed. Does this particular property still align with my strategy? And typically, that's about 30% of your time. Now, closing is easy, simply closing the deal. Again, making sure it aligns with your strategy, it typically will take about 10% of your time. What we want to cover is, you know, the location. How do you pick the right location? So over the next few slides, I'm going to talk about a number of economic data, a number of great resources to use to collect data. For some of you, it will be like an economics dream of information. For others, it might be too much information. I'm not saying you need to understand everything about You know the demographics in your area and the population and the construction starts and the average age and how many renters and what's their average income but it's all data that's going to help you target down into the right market even down to the right neighborhood now once i've gone through a number of these i'm also going to test drive a strategy so if anyone is you know if if anyone is looking at a specific area I'm going to randomly pick one and we're going to walk through the due diligence processes to find a target market for the strategy that I have in mind. So first of all, let's look at provincial economic data and growth. So you might well already have decided, okay, I'm going to purchase in Canada. But which province, which province is the right one for you to purchase in? Now, there is a huge amount of data that's available. Our goal, of course, when we're picking any specific province, is to show that, of course, it's going in the right direction. You don't want to start investing in a province when there's huge migration out. So no one's coming in. They're all going east or west or north or south. You've got people leaving the area. You really want to look at, the provincial economic data to make sure the province you're selecting has the right characteristics and the right elements which look like things are going the right way. Now, I'm going to go through a number of uh, websites and some data that I use a lot to do my due diligence. Now, the key thing is that, of course, none of this data that you can find on websites is going to necessarily give you Um, An idea of surprises, you know, for things like, you know, whether it's the political arena, whether it's our country or those countries we do a lot of business with, whether it is, you know, um, global, you know, weather conditions, you know, are are things impacting the global and Canadian economic, you know, gross domestic product, uh, the consumer price index you know, basically are our, our rates going up so people aren't spending? How does that impact? What does each province play in the big picture of Canadian Canada's economy? And where is that data and growth, where, where is that growth occurring in each economy, in each province? So let's look at some great resources. So the first one that we're going to look at is, uh, we'll look at Alberta. So the, um, each province has like a finance ministry and the finance ministry for example of alberta has some great amazing data and then we're going to pop in and look at rbc's economic report as of september this year so i have deliberately picked alberta and we're going to open up alberta's let me just move this over perfect so i think you can see that okay So here we have um, from the government of Alberta, so a great resource. Now, this is the Alberta and census uh, population based on the 2017 census uh, with predictions of where the population is going to go right up to 2041. So obviously what we want to look at is good data. We want to look at are things projected to go in the right direction? Now, of course, we can't possibly necessarily predict things like, you know, is the pipeline going in or is it not? You know, what are the big economic drivers? Um, you know, are they going to be adjusted based on political, you know, agendas or, you know, things that occur that aren't necessarily in our control? So let's just have a quick look at a few pages. Obviously, for timing, we're not going to go through everything in here. But the whole point is things like the population of Alberta. Is it going in the right direction? And where is it projected to go? So, this is going to give us a true idea of where we think the population is going to go. Obviously, we don't want it to be flat, we want it to be going upwards. The bigger migration, the bigger population growth, then of course, the more people, somewhat more people that need a home to live in. Now, the key thing, of course, is going to be one thing that's going to be really important is. What about the ages of those that are going to be in the province? So there is a lot of information in this, but I really want to jump to things like uh, population growth up to the year 2041 based on males and females and also on their ages. So where is going to be the biggest growth with a certain demographic? Again, all of this is just about looking at at the population growth in the province you're thinking of investing in. Uh, I want to jump to a page here which is going to really show us as I scroll down this one. So this is population growth between the ages of 15 and 64 predicted. And, of course, what it's going to do here is give us, you know, I look at the 25 to 54 uh, year range. These are potentially my tenants, my tenant buyers. Um, You know, what is that population growth? Is it going up or down? So right now, it's kind of telling me that it's going to grow steady, but it's not really a massive incline. So I might want to be cautious based on the demographic of my potential tenants. Again, I can go down, looking at growth per age. So there's definitely going to be a bigger spike in those age 65 or older. So it's kind of telling me, probably like every province in Canada, that there's going to be an aging population. Now, we already probably know that, but what is that going to do for my real estate investing? Well, maybe I should be investing in seniors' homes or, you know, assisted living. CMHC has a great program for 15% down default insured mortgages on assisted living or, you know, living for, you know, a specific age. Any of those facilities, which is awesome. There's programs out there And there's opportunity for us as investors. So, of course, the next thing I want to do is here is the expected. I'm going to zoom into this one uh, because I think this graph to me is very appealing. So, of course, I've picked Alberta. So what you'll notice there is this is the percentage of change of, of the population between the age of 15 and 64. Between now and what? 20 years, 25 years from now, but it's based on town. So it really is giving me an idea of where the trend is of population growth. So look at Red Deer. Look at Edmonton. So they're going to expect a 40% increase in population by 2041. Now, I know as real estate investors, we might think, well, what do I care about 25 years from now? Well, are you in it for the short term? or the long term. If your exit strategy is to retire in 20 years and liquidate your portfolio, then you'd be happy to see that kind of growth. There's going to be a demand for housing. It's probably going to be construction starts. You know, do I want to invest in, you know, um, Rocky Mountain House, for example, or, you know, Settler or Hannah, you know, when they're expecting a negative growth in population. So the fact is, made, I want to in Lethbridge. Lethbridge is going to grow by 30%. It could be an area where people go, well, Lethbridge, yeah. But look at the data. Again, you're not going to take just one of these graphs and make a decision. You're just going to layer these onto your decision-making process, potentially to validate what you might already know, but similarly look at markets that not everyone is going to. Do you want to be a sheep and just like, and go where every other investor is going? Um, I'd say no, you want to be ahead of them. I want to be the sheep dog that already knows where we want to take the sheep to, because that's the market I want to focus on. So that's just one example. Let's go back to our next one. So again, we're just on provincial and economic data. This one is with uh, RBC. So RBC actually does one of these a month. So this is actually really cool information. What I like about this is this is the annual change, the average annual change in a number of key factors per province. So again, I'm going to zoom in so you can see the first graph a bit clearer. So we're focused on Alberta as an example. So it looks at the gross domestic product, and obviously you can see in – 2015, 2016, 17, and 18, giving us an idea it's going to go from negative to positive. So that's a great forecast. But what about employment? So employment, it's kind of flat-ish. What about unemployment? So you might be wondering, well, if employment's flat but unemployment's going up, then, you know, that can't be right. Well, it can be migration. It could be the aging population. You know, if you're 62 and you've just been let go, getting a new job can sometimes be difficult. So it will take that into consideration. Now, what about housing starts? You know, when I see these kind of numbers, I kind of go, holy smokes, that's a 27 uh, 28 uh, 27% increase in housing starts. Uh, retail sales going up. And again, consumer price index. So what's the cost of goods? Again, sometimes it's just validating the information I already know. Now, of course, I can compare per province, but this is great data from an individual uh, monthly standpoint. So you've got, like, the provincial one that's going to give you, the government one that's going to give you, like, based on the census, and then this one is going to give you monthly stats based on recent data. So a great resource. Again, you know, you don't have to be an economics major but it might just well confirm the markets that you're looking at. So what do you want to avoid? Well, anything that's going down. I mean, that's the bottom line. If everyone's moving out of Alberta, then it might not necessarily be a good province to be in right now. So, you know, but then again, people are coming in. You know, sometimes it's about listening, reading the papers, looking at this data, and having the statistics tell you. Not necessarily the realtor trying to sell you a home in a specific neighborhood, in a specific town, in a specific province that might not see the growth that you want to see based on your why. So let's look at local economic growth. So local economic data and growth. This is going to be really important. So we've said, okay, province. We love Alberta. So now let's look at towns and areas in Alberta, for example. So, of course, the goal is to make sure that you're investing in a town that's growing or about to grow. If it's already grown, then you may be a bit late, you know, joining the the, the investment train. So, let's really look at, you know, a couple of factors. Some things that are really obvious to consider would be things like investing in single industry towns. If, um, you know, when there's only one or two major employers in a town, then sometimes, of course, if there's something that happens with that employer, then that could significantly impact, of course, the whole economic strength of that local economy. So single industry towns, the lenders don't like them, and also they can become very volatile. So, for example, you know, Windsor in Ontario, you know, 10, 15 years ago, (coughs) Because the auto industry went, oh, and, you know, everything fell apart. Currently, Windsor is the largest growing town in Ontario. It's got huge investment, huge growth. So economies can turn from a single industry town into multiple. But what that takes is infrastructure growth from a provincial and a municipal standpoint. You know, if the city doesn't invest in bringing in other attracting other employers, then of course that can have a negative impact. Look at Alberta, for example, when I moved to Canada in 98, I moved to Calgary. So I was in Alberta for a number of years. So, you know, it was typically oil town, but now it's got such a much bigger, diversified um, pool of employers, you know, technology, and of course there's still the farming, like there's other employers and head offices in alberta you might not have seen 20 or 30 years ago so again rbc has some great economic data let's have a quick look at these city trends so here we've got i'm going to zoom in again on this so this is a scorecard so this is basically again a monthly ranking scorecard based on city growth again it's looking at the adult population The the rankings, we rank, you know, a city from 1 to 30. So, of course, you know, 1 is like, and 30 is like, amazing. So what obviously you're looking for is to maybe look at the town you were thinking. So maybe we were looking for Calgary. And I look at Calgary, and I've got the consumer price index, well, it's 5. Okay, that's pretty low. Um, I've got the adult population ranks at 10 out of all of the cities listed here. I'm looking for the high numbers, So, except under the jobless comment column, jobless is not good. So the jobless rate is the one you don't want to see a high number. So, of course, right now it's 26 out of, what, 27 cities listed here. So it's pretty poor on the jobless rate, which is not good. Uh, but then we scroll over to non-residential um, building permits. So there's a lot of commercial building permits being issued. So could that be future opportunity for investment and and commercial properties? So, again, it's just a Canadian city trend. You know, I mentioned earlier Windsor. Where's Windsor on here? Have we got Windsor on here? Windsor. So look at Windsor. It ranks pretty high on the numbers. You know, adult population growth is going up to 18 jobs. Ranking really high, there's lots of jobs, um, housing starts high, residential building permits high. So again, you know, there is growth and infrastructure in those two cities as an example. So all we're saying is really focus on what is the city you have maybe narrowed down, what's the infrastructure growth? Are there things like, um, you know, uh, is, is the C train expanding? Um, is, is there, you know, are, are there initiatives being done by the local municipality to expand and attract more employment and more people into the area? So, again, you want to look at that local economic data. What to avoid? Well, anything that's negative. So, I think that's pretty straightforward. New construction data. So, you know, how many new builds are occurring? So, you know, the goal... This one's a tough one because there's just a bigger argument that the more building permits that are issued, the less demand there will be for, you know, because there'll be more supply than demand. It can also be the opposite. They're having to build because there is more demand than current supply. But again, it's kind of finding that, that scale. You've got supply and you've got demand. So, you know, if there's lots of housing permits, you know, build construction permits issued, to deal with the supply, um, you know they're gonna increase the supply based on the demand. You don't wanna kinda of see this big shift. At some point, if there's lots of construction starts and housing permits issued, there's lots of construction, suddenly that, that demand and that supply is level, so the market's flat. Ideally, of course, like any supply and demand, as an investor, it will depend where you're at. So if you're looking to buy, you want to be buying in a buyer's market where you've got motivated sellers. But if you're wanting to sell, you want to sell in a seller's market. If you want to hold, what market do you want to be in? If you want to hold, you really want to look at, okay, what is your investment strategy if it's cash flow? So you want to make sure you're holding in a market with low vacancy rate and demand for rental units. So again, looking at that construction data can just give you an idea of expected growth. So for example, here's construction data for a neighborhood in Calgary, and it's based on the ranges for the years in which properties in the area were built. So this is actually gonna tell me, for example, that in this case, you know, 83, so over half the properties in this neighborhood were built between 91 and 95 so you might say well sure claire but how important is that well what do you think if my strategy is quick cash do i want to look for neighborhoods that have older homes so homes where the bigger portion of homes were maybe the 1970s and 80s where maybe i can do uh, renovations so maybe i'm going to look at those homes that are built between 1986 and 1990 Look at neighborhoods where there's a bigger chunk of those because are they the ones that have an opportunity to find motivated sellers in older homes that are outdated that probably just need new kitchens, new flooring, neutral colors, take down that flowery wallpaper in the bathrooms and, you know, those, um, um, what do you call them, those panel things, that pieces of wallpaper you, you could put on all the walls that were the fashion back then. You know, put nice hardwood in and take, you know, the the carpet out of the bathroom. And, you know, all those things that you could do to that property if your acquisition strategy and your why is a flip. You want to look in areas where the homes were built maybe in the 80s or early 90s. So that would be your opportunity. Again, all it is is looking at why do I want to buy real estate? Hmm, quick cash. Okay. I want to look for construction data, not just on new starts, but also on what's the current average age of homes in the neighborhood I'm looking at. And, of course, there's great information on Stats Canada. There is a link here, and I believe we'll be able to give you access to all of these links, so don't worry about that. So, of course, with new construction, what to avoid? Do you want more new construction or less? It will depend on your strategy. It's that supply and demand conundrum. You might find that there is a lot of um, demand for rental units, so therefore construction starts on multi families might be up. Eventually, when those construction starts are finished, that supply and demand is going to level off. Then there'll be another need, maybe for three bedroomed rentals for those expanding families population demographics so of course this is now getting down to okay what's the population being made up in my area so we're going to go through this pretty quickly so the age so of course you will want to look at the average age of uh, individuals in your town because who are they let me give you an example I had an investor that contacted me that wanted to build um, townhouses wanted to build 24 two-story townhouses they would actually be stacked so technically four stories but you know they're stacked sort of back to back from each other so if you're looking at them this way they're kind of one here and then one there and then one here and then one there so when so obviously townhouses two stories single attached garage so awesome so we looked at the population demographics in the area where we found this lot of land when we looked at the population, the average age, like more than half the population, was over 60. So we really had to look at okay, you're going to build two story stacked townhouses with an aging population. Are you actually better off building a 24 unit, um, you know, uh, multi family building instead? on single floors with an elevator, with wider bathrooms for wheelchairs or, or uh, walkers and Zimmer frames, you know, where people can live, you know, because the average age is much older. The They're not, you know, families with, with 2.5 children on average, you know, where the larger population base is in their 30s to 50s. This was an aging population area. That's why the land was so cheap. So it totally changes what you're going to build based on the population demographics. Marital status. So, you know, if the larger population is married, then obviously having two or three bedrooms is going to be, you know, more suitable. If there is a lot of single families, um, then, of course, you know, bachelor apartments. And what is the demographic of the area? Is it hip and trendy? And so maybe it's one beds. Is it, you know, lots of families, is parks, is a school nearby or plans to build a school? So, therefore, the type of properties you might want to invest in to see appreciation is going to be based on the population demographics. Again, StatsCan has got some amazing uh, information. So, for example, here is uh, the housing starts, but I can go right down to each individual area and right down to the population base. So using this is a great resource. So tenant demographics. So this is one of my favorites. So if I want to buy a multifamily or rent to own, uh, I want to get cash flow, I really want to look at, well, who are my tenants? Am I going to be renting to uh, those that are on um, ODP, Um, Are they going to be low-income earners, middle-income earners? You know, you don't want to renovate a multifamily building to such a high standard that's above the demographic of your potential tenants. You don't want to over-renovate, which doesn't mean you want to be a slumlord, but, you know, you only want to renovate to a point where it's going to attract the right tenants. But the right tenants might not be attracted to the neighborhood based on the demographics so those would be things like um you know age education the languages that they speak the household income so back in the day we used to have to go through like a gazillion places to get that information now the fortunate thing is realtor.ca can provide all of this so i've taken the liberty of finding a current listing and we're going to go straight to the potential tenant demographic information. So what you'll notice that when we're looking at this, you know, cute little, um, you know, townhouse in Riverbend, I picked Riverbend because that's where I used to live. Um, You know, we've got the information on the details of the property here. So awesome. I've got, you know, a couple of bedrooms. Was it three bed, two bath with a maintenance fee? Awesome. But here we've got the statistics so this is going to give me all the demographics that I'm looking for specific to this neighborhood. So um, what you'll notice here is I've got a median age of 46. So, okay, probably going to be families. Household average size, 2.47. Uh, average household income, 141,370. So if I'm going to do a rent-to-own in this neighborhood, if I'm going to do a regular single family rental, or maybe convert it, put a legal suite downstairs and it's two units, it's giving me an idea of the average demographic of my potential tenant. So if I do want to do any rehab to the building, to the property, I want to target it to the demographic that's already attracted to that area. Again, a lot of this information your realtor should, should provide for you on your power team But it's also a great way of you narrowing down, even right down to a neighbourhood. So it also says that there's 37% in the area that are not in the labour force. Now of course, those could be, you know, um, homemakers, so stay at home, mums and dads, Um, you know, there's 46% of households without children, maybe you're a landlord that doesn't want to rent to families with children. I'm not sure you can legally do that, but you never know. The key thing is this information is really going to help. You've got population by age group. So you can get an idea of how big is the, you know, how many, you know, what we've got, 55 to 64-year-olds are like, what, one, what, just under a quarter. Uh, What's the population growth? So, you know, what is it intended to be? So I look at this area in Riverbend, and go, holy smokes you know, it's, it's kind of met its peak on population growth. So it's probably telling us that it's gonna level out. Now, if anyone knows Riverbanks, there's no more room to build anything. So naturally, don't take this information verbatim. Don't think, oh, it's going the wrong way, so that means, you know, no one's, everyone's gonna be moving out. No, it just means that they're not building anymore. So therefore, if there's great schools in that area, There's no more new construction for new people to come in. So buying existing properties, it already means the density is there. So therefore, that can be good or bad. Education. So it's going to give you an idea of how educated the population is. What's their marital status? So here, of course, we see that more than half are married. So typically, families. So already, I'm thinking this could be a good area for rent to own you know, families, um, you know, there's not, there's some great schools in the area, but there's no more construction, there's no more new build. So people can only move into what's already there. Languages. So obviously a large chunk are English. Now, why is this important? It's not important so you can racially profile. What is important is your potential marketing in that area. So, you know, obviously a large chunk is English. What's the next population? Oh, other languages. So let's pick this one. I mean, German, smaller smaller groups of different nationalities. But as I change neighbourhoods, this might change. If I pick an area that has a high Spanish population, for example, I might want to make sure I'm working with a Spanish-speaking realtor because it's a likelihood that my tenants or my property management or my potential tenant buyers or buyers might well be Spanish speaking. It would be a benefit. Household income, we've talked about, children at home. Here is the one that I love. Okay, so this is huge. So there is a massive chunk of homes in the Riverbend, in Calgary in the Southeast that are owned. So a majority of the properties are owned. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that's going to tell me that there's not many renters in the area. So there's definitely dem- could be demand for people to have properties to rent. So it could be a great rent to own. But also the key thing here is going to be that, um, you know, pride of ownership, the homes are probably well looked after because most of them are owned and not rented. If I saw a bigger portion of rented there may be some negative impacts in certain neighborhoods where tenants don't necessarily look after the property. Construction date, we talked about this earlier. So there's a big chunk of these properties that were built in 91 to 2000, like a huge chunk. So is this a great area for potentially buy, rehab, refinance and hold? Is it a buy, rehab and flip and sell? So, again, you know, a larger chunk in this area is built in the early 90s. So, potentially outdated an opportunity. And, of course, occupations. So, how many of them are in the sciences? Are sales and service? Are business and finance? So, already I can see probably predominantly white-collar uh, demographic. Aren't necessarily as many that are in uh, the trades. So there's only a very small portion that are in trades, so labourers and trades. So some of this you might be thinking, yeah, but Claire, I live in Riverbend. I know this. But are you always going to be buying in your backyard? As you get confident enough to go out into different areas that you're not familiar with, at least you'll be armed with some tools to find the right area. Okay, so moving on, I'm very conscious of time because I want to make sure we have a chance to do a a run-through. Okay, so employment rates. Of course, the goal is to make sure you have as many people employed or employable in the area. You do not want to see large unemployment because those that are unemployed don't pay rent. And that's going to be really important. Vacancy rates. So, of course, the goal is to have low vacancy. You don't want to have high vacancy rates where you potentially have empty units. Now, there's a great portal called the cmhc.ca HMI portal. That's going to give you a lot of information with regard to um, the um, – I'm just going to move out of that because for some reason it's not working. I'm going to go to the portal here. Where was I? So the CMHC portal portal is is awesome, I love it. So CMHC portal basically will give you a lot of information about housing starts, but also the primary rental market, the seniors rental market, population and household statistics, housing stock, and the core housing need. So this is huge, so this is kind of like, um, you know, is there adequate housing, what are the options? So, I'm just going to swish these down here. So, you'll notice right now I have the full um, uh, outlook of Canada. So, I can now go to, okay, I'm going to pick Alberta. So, now I'm down to Alberta. Okay, awesome. Let's pick pick Lethbridge again. Lethbridge. So, awesome. In Lethbridge, I can even pick an area. So, let's pick uh, Coherst. Why not? So now, on the left-hand side, it's giving me the key information. Now, unfortunately, oh, typical, I pick one where it doesn't have anything on the rental market, which could mean it's a predominantly a, um, uh, an owner's market. Let me just go back to just left, There we go. So this is giving me an idea of the vacancy rate. So it's kind of going up slightly. Availability of apartments the average rent for a two-bed, and the median rent for a two-bed. Again, it's going to really break down some of that information for me and really give give me a strong idea of that population base and vacancy rates. These vacancy rates on this portal is what the lenders will use, especially if you're looking to buy um, multifamily. This is where the lenders will go to decide the vacancy rate. Okay, positive cash flow. So, of course, the important thing is, especially when it comes to monthly cash flow, is ensuring it is positive. So, of course, the goal is to be able to um, obtain the highest possible market rent, figuring out how much the market can um, tolerate based on the rent you're going to charge. So, there's a great website that I use a lot called Padmapper. So, Padmapper is not working on this. This is so funny. Uh, I'm just going to reload. Hold on a second. Bear with me. Let me just shut down some of these. So, Padmapper, you know uh, what Realtor um, is to uh, purchases? Padmapper is to rentals. So why don't we pick, um, why don't we pick Calgary again? So I go Calgary, Alberta, and basically it gives me a map. These are all the current rentals that are available. So over on the right-hand side, I'm going to, well, let's do a dry run. Let's do an example. Let's assume my strategy is, my Y is cash flow. And I'm a bit nervous about buying multifamily, managing lots of tenants. Uh, but I really like rent to own. So I like rent to own because it's a win-win. It's a short exit strategy. I'll get good quality tenants. So, you know, I'll, I'll have better. It, it will make me feel more comfortable as a landlord. So awesome. I'm going to do rent to own. So therefore, the first thing I'd want to do if I'm going to do rent to own is look at what is market rent. Because I'm going to charge my tenant buyers market rent. And then, of course, they're going to pay extra in order to go towards their down payment when they buy my property. So, really, the first thing I want to do is go, okay, well, what are market rents on a single family, three bed, two bath? So Pathmapper will give us current listings. So on the right hand side, what I'm going to do is I want to look for long term rentals only. Short-term is going to give you like Airbnb. You don't want those. So long-term only. I would like three beds and I can add more filters. So here I can put in more filters and I might say, okay, I only want houses. I want to make sure they have at least two bathrooms. And that's it. So now what happens is now I've narrowed down availability. So I'm just going to pick the southeast just because I'm used to it. It's where I used to live, and I'm familiar with it. So now what I can do is start to zoom in to an area that – where are we? Let's go down here a bit more. I'm going to zoom into a specific area. So, you know, I was talking about Riverbend earlier, but down here in Quarry Park. I'm going to click on here, and here is – oh, perfect. This is a great example. So, this is already telling me that this is the only three-bed, two-bath available to rent in the southeast of Calgary. So, supply and demand. So, the one thing we need to really consider, especially with rent to own, is that, you know, when you have a family, husband, wife, a couple of children, when you go to pick from the rental market, the picking must be pretty slim, um, as opposed to picking from the uh, purchase market. So the beauty of rent-to-own is your tenant buyers do get to pick from the purchase market. But you need to make sure is if you were to purchase this property, right now we know that a three-bed, two-bath would rent for $21.95 in that area. So immediately I know market rents, $21.95. So make a note of that because this is something that we want to do as we do our dry run So remember, I want cash flow. I want quick cash. I want to do rent to owns. Three bed two bath homes, single family because I don't like condos. That's kind of what I want to focus on. So $21.95 is my market rent. Awesome. So it's going to give me information on the property. I can scroll through the pictures. Oh, it looks beautiful, beautiful property. Now, you could be a smart investor and be targeting this owner as a motivated seller if they can't find a tenant. So it could be an opportunity to knock on that door as well. But obviously, I want to take some information here. It was only listed a minute ago, so, boy, this is fresh off the press. So I know here I have a beautiful, amazing, you know, three-bed, two-bath home in Douglas Glen, renting for twenty one ninety five. So now what do I do? Now what do I do? So I know it's that's what the rent's going to be. So now I want to see is, okay, how much is it going to cost me to buy a property in that area? So I can go to realtor.ca, but I personally like a website called, uh, I think it's .ca. Yes, I personally like LibbyPad.ca. It uses everything from realtor.ca. But I just find it much more intuitive so I'm going to pick Calgary Alberta is where I want to buy and now I'm going to start to put in my filters I want to buy a house and I want three beds and so what it's going to do is actually start to show me potential properties so here is one which is a three bed two bath in Mackenzie so it's not quite in my area So what I might want to do is expand my search to um, Douglas Glen and see what comes up. So now it's going to give me all of those properties in the southeast that are uh, three-bed, and I want just houses. So remember that one that we saw that was for rent for $21.95? So now I'm looking to just see, okay, Am I going to find that type size property? So we've got one here on Riverside for four hundred and fifty-eight, three bed, three bath. Okay, let's scroll down. That one's a bit small. Don't look as nice as the one that we were looking at before. Okay, that one's not bad. That's on McKenzie. Again, I'm trying to find. Oh, look! Here we are. Now this one's slightly bigger. It's a three bed, four bath for five ninety nine. Or here I've got one that's a three-bed, three-bath for $5.49. So it's obvious that somewhere between 470 dollars and $5.50 is going to be the purchase price. So now what do I do? I know that if I buy this home for, you know, this one for $5.50, it's going to rent for $21.95. Is that going to cash flow for my investment strategy? Is that going to cover my 80% loan to value mortgage? Because what I want to do is I want to kind of go, okay, if I end up just having to put a tenant in, will $21.95 cash flow a rental, uh, a purchase of this type? Already I can tell you no. We probably need to get somewhere around 450. So here are similar listings. This is why I like LilyPad. I picked this home and down here it's going to show me similar listings until i find one that's maybe in a better price bracket they're all in the 5 or 600s so already i'm thinking you know what southeast that douglas glen area might well be out of the price bracket for my rent to own strategy but what if it wasn't what if i could buy this home for 450 doing the cash flow it's going to positively cash flow so therefore my rent to own strategy in the southeast of Calgary as long as I stick with purchase prices of around 450 is positive. So I have test driven my strategy. I've got rent to own, I've found an area, I know the purchase price and the market rents is going to create that positive cash flow. Now what I want to do is do my targeting market target, target marketing to that area. So I want to focus on mortgage brokers that are in that area, realtors that are in that area. But my Kijiji ads focused on that area. Connect with Tide landlords in that area. Sometimes we spray and pray. I want to do rent-to-own in Edmonton. Well, I don't know. Last time I lived, Edmonton was pretty big. And, you know, do you really want to work with a realtor that's closer to Leduc when your rent-to-own strategy only works in the... Northwest of Edmonton or up in St. Albert or Fort Saskatchewan. So the fact is you want to be able to narrow down your target market so that you can then target your marketing to that area and those people that are within it. I could even look at this and kind of go, you know what, there weren't many rentals in Riverbend. There's four great schools within driving distance in a catchment area. I could do some marketing around the schools, I could, you know, do some flyer drops, you know, I want to target that market, you know, do you know anyone that wants to get in the area but can't find anywhere to rent? It's a perfect way to really adjust your marketing and get a a bigger success rate, basically. Okay, so of course, what's to avoid? Well, negative cash flow or when you do your cash flow analysis, it's just not aligning with your why. Remember, quick cash, cash flow, or you're being the banker, portfolio income. Rental increase potential. The goal of course is to have the opportunity to increase rent. So I know in Alberta Alberta right now, you have the ability to increase the rent. Uh, But for example, if you're buying in Ontario, you need to understand Ontario's, uh, you know, Re- uh, Tenant Landlord Act and the fact that you can only increase the rent on current tenants based on the government's legislative percentage. So, for example, 2.1% in 2016, I think it's 1.8% this year. So if your expenses are going to go up, like your land- your uh, property tax, the interest rates on your mortgage... Uh, future maintenance, but you can't increase the rent and then that maybe will impact your ongoing hold Strategy and of course you want to avoid those that really limit you those areas that limit you as a landlord to make those adjustments So I have just gone through a number of different sort of ways to do a bit more digging into specific target markets And the important thing is to test drive that strategy. The example I've just gone through is on rent to own. So I picked a neighborhood. I decided that that neighborhood had potential because there wasn't many rentals available, but a good catchment area based on population, size of family, and the schools and the infrastructure. I liked the population base, the average age, the average income. The fact that there was a lot of employees that were white collar and not blue collar. Um, Not that blue collar's bad, but it's a different demographic. The fact is I narrowed down a neighborhood. Now let's look at market rents. Now let's look at purchase prices to get that market rent. Does that create a positive cash flow and align with my strategy? And if it doesn't, okay, next, let's move on to the next neighborhood. So I want to just for the next three or four minutes, just focus on one of the tools that's available when you use the services of the right mortgage broker that might help you with some of this due diligence and really once you've found a property, ensuring that it meets your needs. So mortgage brokers can offer you a number of things, one of which is becoming even more and more popular across every province is what's called a purview report. A purview report is going to tell us the property owner's name, so who has the right to sell the property, the legal description, uh, pictures of the property, square footage, and zoning. It's also going to help us determine the seller's motivation. So maybe you see a property that's listed for rent, could be a tired landlord. Maybe pulling a purview on that address through your mortgage broker of choice could give you some ammunition to see how motivated that seller might be. Because the report's gonna give you the ownership and sales history. So how much did the current owner pay for it? In this example, you can see that it was originally owned by Maria and Werner Kress. They owned the home in 1959, so the original property owners. But it was transferred to a representative back in 2014 and then it was transferred to Arlene we actually know that Arlene inherited the home because both Maria and Albert passed away so it's going to give us a lot of information about the sale price and the previous history it's also going to give us an idea of the estimated value in the neighborhood all taken from land from uh, title transfer registration It's going to give us an idea of the uh, neighborhood profile as you're going up or down. Sometimes just picking a random address in the target market you have found and then asking your broker of choice to pull a purview on a number of properties in that area. Giving you the market trend can help you determine potential future value if it is a rent to own or if it's going in the right direction. It's also going to let you know how much debt is on the property so yes we'll be able to tell if the current owners have any mortgages because if we know how much cash is in the property for the seller it will determine whether we're going to be aggressive in our negotiating are we going to ask for a vendor take-back if it's fully leveraged or over leveraged we're not necessarily going to win in our negotiation We might choose to decide to move on to the next property. It's also going to give us an idea of the equity. In this particular example, there are two mortgages registered on the property. So therefore, potentially leverage may even have negative equity. We're also going to, of course, get neighborhood sales trends based on the neighborhood trend as well as the subject property in a graph format. And we're also going to get historical comparable sales when the last owners purchased and today. So this is a great way of getting non-partisan comparables, being able to compare these with your real estate agent of choice on your power team to ensure that they have potentially picked or if they missed any of the potential comparables. It will also give you an aerial view and then the, an aerial picture of the three closest comparables. So, the example I actually went through here is actually a property that I was looking to purchase. And this information gave me a lot of power at the negotiating table. Because let's face it, if you find the right target market, you do the, your due diligence, it aligns, aligns with your why. And then, of course, you, know, you want to supplement that have that cherry on the top, by getting money in the buy, having finding motivated sellers to create even more wealth in your real estate strategy by having money in the buy. So we've gone through a number of uh, things. We've really gone through some target demographics. I know a lot of it was economics, but it's key information to find the right market giving you some great tools and websites to go to to help to start to collect this data. Sometimes it can be used just to validate what you already know. Sometimes it can be used to look at trends. Don't wait until you read it in the paper. You want to be ahead of the news. You want to be ahead of, you know, what are the top 10 cities for growth in um, in Alberta or Saskatchewan or Manitoba or ones to avoid. Just because six investors that you know are buying there doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you. Only you can decide what is right and what's your right market. And just having some tools to help make that decision yourself, complemented with the information available, of course, through street smart real estate investing, as well as your power team members. So I believe I've covered a lot of material this evening. Hopefully it hasn't been, or I've covered a lot of material. Hopefully it hasn't been too overwhelming. Um, this is time for us to open it up to some questions.
1: <laughs> wow. How is it called, that report, and how we ca- you can re- re- get that report on a regular basis? That one, my question is direct, right away.
2: The purview. So the purview report is Mm -hmm. only available um, by lenders and mortgage brokers. They're the only two that can actually access this report. So all the investor has to do is just simply email their mortgage broker of choice with the address of the property, and we can pull it in seconds. Now, each mortgage broker does pay for this service. So I personally am signed up. I pay for the service. But the fact is, it's a great added value uh, to my investors, and it also gives us a lot of background to help us make that right decision on a certain market as well as a specific property before you put your offer in. Know a bit more about the the seller. You know, how much debt do they have? How much cash is in the deal? You know, if, if they paid... 400 for the property six months ago and now they're trying to sell it for 500 Mm -hmm. well what have you done in the last you know six months or are you just riding the wave of the market it kind of can open up a lot of questions but yeah you've got to access it through your mortgage broker
1: okay good to know and uh, definitely there is a question from mark i'm going to unmute you mark guys if you have a question there is a question right now mark you are unmuted yeah, it was just addressed. Uh, it's the same question about the purview and how to access it. So thank you. Oh, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> so looks like not only me had a question about that, right? So,
2: <laughs> Now, the one thing I will say, though, is I would say to you, reach out to your mortgage broker of choice right now to mm-hmm. make sure they're actually signed up for it. I mean, they should be. Um, it's a service again. We have to pay for, but it's a cost of doing business. It's a huge value for for investors.
1: So any and the, and the bro- brokers and bro- mortgage brokers associated with your company, they have access to it, right? So, honestly saying, as we you have exclusive exclusive rights to to use it, our to be used by our investors, right? So <laughs> I got the message. <laughs> awesome.
2: My pleasure.
1: Perfect. I I understand that clearly, right? So, additional question, uh, suggestion, which I'm I'm additionally I would like to add that if that's okay with your permission, is do not overanalyze. Take an action, guys. <laughs> what you have provided, all the analysis tools and everything, will clarify it. I have noticed there is a lot of things which people are getting, you know, I wanna invest, like you mentioned, in Edmonton, right, okay? And they they start posting ads on Kijiji, et cetera. They have a clear message, you know, like whatever the perfect client is, perfect seller, joint venture partner, et cetera, right? However, by utilizing and focusing on main areas of expertise, especially, you know, like, as you mentioned, rent-to-own guys, right? You can nail it. You can have it like turnkey solution. This is guys, this is that kind of property. This is that how much money and anything whatever shows up in that certain area with that price range is valuable for you. Then you can have a systemized logistics, right? So anybody who are rent to own guys, this, you will be watching that presentation ten times. Okay. <laughs> or even more. <laughs>
2: It's also, um, it's so powerful from a marketing perspective. Sometimes as investors, like you mentioned, we spray and pray. You know, we spray our ads and we kind of pray that we're going to get the right tenant buyer in the right area and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And especially even if I go down, even right to the micro level, and I kind of know that, okay, this neighborhood, you know, they're they're working in, you know, uh, banking and finance or they're labor and trades. So then I could go to the unions of those labor and trades and advertise in those unions for my rent-to-own. So I don't have to do what every other investor does. I can really like pinpoint it down to, to, to this. And I might only get three or four inquiries, but they're three and four quality inquiries. Because anyone who's tried rent-to-own, you put an ad out there, you spray and pray. Well, you better pray you've got lots of time to screen all
1: of those time wasters. Exactly time waste. Are you talking my language, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> you see
2: yeah. the, I think you sent me the postcard or the T
1: shirt. I don't know, something <laughs> uh, and now we can agree. Like utilizing, you know, to the micro micro niche is the most successful because you will be spending little time, you will have a systematic lead flow and then you will have the highest chances of having a client as a seller buyer and joint venture partner and bingo that's the primary goal right using Kijiji ads we agree is so you know generic right You cannot niche for that, so that information which you have provided definitely is very viable for anybody if If anyone has a question, please raise your hand. let me have a look. Okay, Joe. Mister Joe, can can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you.
0: Oh, okay, so that was great, Claire. That was uh that was awesome presentation. Lots of stuff that I I hadn't heard before, and, uh, as well as lots of, of sites. sites. Um, just a little side note before my question. Yerick uh, had some homework for for a bunch of us to do, and I'm I'm really wishing I would have seen this before I submitted my homework because it would have changed a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on, on near the start of the presentation on your finance Alberta, your Statscan sites, those bigger ones, how often are they updated? are they are they frequently? I know some of them are not that frequent, right?
2: Yeah, so I would say that the ones like Statscan, the, the national ones, they're gonna be always around the census. So, you know, we had our census last year, so you know, that, you know, probably three or four more years before that's going to get updated. But then that's a, the census stuff, you know, that the stats can stuff, the Statistics Canada, that's going to be more, you know, for a long-term, you know, future forecasting. I mean, they're going out to 2041 based on their forecasting for demographics, migration, immigration, etc. cetera. Um, the ones like RBC, uh, CMHC, uh, CMHC does a quarterly update On their housing outlook for example Um, and you know RBC is monthly so you know those two two tools are going to be great to use and they're updated literally either monthly or once a quarter.
1: Okay yeah great thanks. You're welcome. Joe you are muted and oh sorry so I don't see any further questions. Claire, I'm looking forward to next presentation. Just to let you know, Joe, I knew what would be covered. <laughs> and that was aligned with the homework, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Just to let you know, Claire, uh, Joe is uh, one of the team members for Calgary for the Street Smart Real Estate Investing. So. Cool. Awesome. I set you up, Joe, definitely. So, Claire... Thank you very much. Looking forward for the future presentation, and I appreciate so much. I have learned, as always, uh, something new. Thank you. I appreciate that. Looking forward to, to have the next presentation. Thank you
2: so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Straight Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.